So I wanted to share something that just blessed me. I don't know if you saw this on Facebook, but um, some friends from, well, Allison in our church. Who knows Allison? She's amazing. And uh, so she works at Studio M Salon, which is a cool place. I get this sweet fade. I got it yesterday. And, uh, and Allison cuts my hair. She does an amazing job. Her and the team there are doing a cut-a-thon on February the 16th, right before our surgery. They're doing it from 12 to 4 on a Saturday. All proceeds go towards our travel expenses, uh, Nicole and mine, for uh, the, the surgery. So very, very cool. So if you need a sweet haircut, I suggest going there because they're really good. And uh, But definitely support that. Really appreciate the, uh, the uh, support that's been coming out. And I also wanted to mention the giving statements, just that I am blown away at the hands and the support that has come around this church um, over the last seven years. And to see, to be standing where we are today in a building that's paid for, to see the things moving forward, and more importantly, to see seats full and, and hearts being changed on Sunday mornings. I have a very full heart this morning, and so I just wanted to honor God for, for just another year of, of just support and, and enough. God always says that he will be enough, and uh, he did it in 2019. I had enough in 2019. And so I had my hard days. Our church had our challenges. You had your hard days, but we had enough in 2019, and here we are ready to see what God's going to do in 2020. So we've been talking about victories for this year. And so uh, we've been talking about victories needed in the area of fear uh, versus faith, uh, for joy, uh, victories in the area of community. And so you can always go to Pinterest, Facebook, you know, these kind of things for just great wisdom. And so I saw this little thing on Pinterest, uh, 2020 goals. Okay, here we go. Break a bad habit. Ah, that's good. I, Danielle's still training me, and uh, she would like it if I worked on that. Uh, let's see. Learn a new skill. That's admirable. Do a good deed. A. Do a good deed in 2020. Anyways, we'll move on. Visit a new place. That's exciting. Who likes to travel? Who's... Who's happy staying home? They don't care if they ever see another place in their life. Okay, you're, okay, you're weird. I like to get out and do a new place. I set you up for that one. Visit a new place. This one, read a difficult book. Now, for some of you, that's like anything without pictures, and I'll pray for you, um, but like read a difficult book, okay? Write and send a letter. Why? Like, we don't need to do that. That's, that's terrible. Uh, face a fear. That's pretty good. Try something new and then take a risk. I think they kind of started duplicating there at the end. This is the mindset of, I think, the average person coming into a new year. It's like it's a reset. It's a recalibration. You're reviewing the past. You're looking forward. You're looking at where you're at, and you're like, eh, I'm really not where I want to be in these different areas. I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I've been going on the merry-go-round. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try Indian food this year, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get nuts and, and, you know, go to the gym and, and lose the same 10 pounds I lost last January. But anyways, we're get, was that too, was that too hurtful? Because that's what I'm doing. And uh, so these are good ideas, but if we're not careful, the why is all about us. 
And that's what this series is about. Because so often when we're looking at the past, we're looking at the rearview mirror, we're looking out the windshield in front of us, we're looking at all of the determining factors in our life, all of the gauges that, that matter to us, the, the condition of our kids, the condition of our house, the, the condition of our bank account, the, all these different things and, 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 and what the scale says and all these things, where we're at at work and, and the goals that we maybe haven't achieved there and all these things, and we can get ourselves all mustered up for the new year and say, I'm going to chase this victory in this area, but if we're not careful, the victory is it's hollow because it's, it's short-sighted. It's just for us. And so we're in this series called Not This Year, Satan, and so I'm going to take, yes, let's, not this year, Satan, boom, like we're doing something, but I don't want just a victory for me. I want a victory that changes the kingdom of God. I want to, I want to, I want to do something that has ripple effects into the lives of other people that can affect family trees, that can affect generations to come, that can change the spiritual landscape. I want to make that kind of difference. I want my life to count for, for more than just the, the space I took up and, and hopefully three good messages over 20 years of preaching. I don't know. Like, I, I want to dream bigger than that. And so we're in this series, and it comes from Matthew 16, 21. We have this famous little um, dialogue between Jesus and the big mouth, Peter. He usually had his foot in his mouth, and occasionally it would come out enough that you could understand what he was saying. And so if that's one of your gifts, then, then he is somebody that I can sympathize with most certainly. And, uh, and so let's go quickly to Matthew 16, and uh, we're going to touch on these few verses, uh, 21 through 23. I'm going to go there with you. 16, 21 through 23, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Jesus is downloading the plan. And it says that like he could only do it as it got closer. Like He knew they weren't ready to hear this. And as he knows the time is coming, he really wants his disciples to know what's happening. He starts to tell them the plan. It is not going to go well on the surface for him in Jerusalem. He's telling them, I'm going to get into big trouble. I'm going to be punished. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. He's telling them this plainly. And then Peter took him aside, which I think that's actually a positive step for Peter. I think Peter was probably usually just no filter, immediate thoughts come to his mind. Says he had the class enough to take him aside. But then he began to reprimand him. Huh. For saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord of the heavens. Like that the concept of this is just amazing. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. And so we see in this short little dialogue, we see that God has a plan. There's a reason why in our vision statement, we say, welcome home to God, his family, and his plan. 
because he has one. And he has a plan, and it includes you and I, and then we have the choice to participate with his plan. He is not sitting around wondering whether he's going to participate in our plans. He has a plan. He's moving forward on his plan. We get to choose whether we're... Are you guys caught up with me? Okay, good. Peter says, heaven forbid... Which, like I said, is quite cute to the, <laughs> the Lord of the heavens. Like, heaven forbid that you would do heaven's plan, basically. But we can easily adapt God to our plans in our minds and in our words, and we can call it his will. Because we want it to fit into our understanding of what should happen. And we can easily speak words of hell, well-meaning, but we can easily speak the words of hell instead of heaven. Oh my gosh, no, you, you really shouldn't be going through that. Oh no, we're, we're going to make sure that you, should, you shouldn't be suffering. You shouldn't have to deal with this. You shouldn't have to go through this hard time. And, and yet when we pull back on this, Jesus is being very clearly, this is the plan. This is the way for those of you that are watching Star Wars. Anyways, because of our human point of view, we have to be careful. Christianity should not be chosen to simply make our lives better. And so often it's sold as a, as a bag of goods from a stage like this where we say the truth that your lives are broken, and if we're not careful, we can stop at your life will be better with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It will be, but who is defining better? Because if you accept Jesus on those terms, your mind just heard, your ears just heard better. And what does better mean to you? Better means a little less rain over my head, a little more sunshine, a little more money in my pocket, a little less illness in my body, a little smoother road underneath my feet. This is what better means to me, right? And if we're not careful, we can define our theology through that definition. That to follow Jesus means my life should be getting more comfortable instead of more difficult. And so when a difficulty arises, we call that the devil and curse it and pray against it and fight against it and whatever else. And God's like, this is just part of the plan. And we don't like those parts of the plan. I don't like those parts of the plan. There's a reason why I'm so happy to see a, a building like, relatively full of people this morning and, and the bills paid is because there has been times of empty in the life of this church. We've, we've gone through difficult times to see some of this harvest, and I believe it's just the beginning of it. But God has those seasons, and if we resist those, sometimes we don't get to the other side of that. Christianity should not be chosen to simply make our lives better. And so let me read to you further, because this connects to another very known passage. But let's keep going into verse 24 through 28. We're going to finish the chapter. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is one long conversation. 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The question we should be asking instead of what is the victory I want for 2020, what are the victories that God wants us to? to experience in 2020. Part of our dream at this church, part of that vision statement is that we would all gradually align our ideas for our lives to the plan of God as it's revealed to us and as we submit to it. Those are two very big steps, and hopefully the plan of God for your life will be revealed as you grow closer to him, grow closer in the local church community, but then you still have the choice of submitting to his plan instead of yours, and that's another challenge. But the big thought for today is our greatest victories will come following Jesus. Our greatest victories, the most meaningful, the most relevant, the, the ones that will actually go, can go past our lives, our physical lives, are the ones that come following Jesus. January is a natural time of review and calibrating our lives. I look at it this way, that we should look at it. We should take account of who we are. We should take account of where we're at because I think I'm like you and that I want to get a maximum return on my investment. I see this gift of life as a gift. I see it as valuable. I see it as something to enjoy. I think I should stop and smell the roses and dance in them every now and then and buy a dozen for my wife on occasion when I'm smart enough to remember to do such smart things. <laughs> Debbie, amen for my wife. That's awesome. It's not just about working every possible second, even for the kingdom of God. What it is, it's about wanting to make the most impact. So growing up, uh, we lived in a, a little house over uh, east side of Columbus, Groveport Schools, and we had this uh, ranch with a basement and this, like the shortest backyard in the history of backyards. It was like wide, but like barely, hardly any depth to it. And we had this above ground round pool. And it was the best thing, like, it was my best friend. Like, that's kind of sad, maybe, but, like, I loved that stupid pool. The pool was right behind the garage. The garage was a block garage, just one story tall, and, of course, a roof right above it. We wanted big splashes. Because the goal as a reasonable young man, is to make the biggest splash possible. And an above-ground pool, you're limited to your options. It means you need to try to stand on the wall. Who has tried to stand on a metal wall? Like, this is like, okay, some, some of y'all were born and raised in Pickerington. You don't know what these pools are like, but I grew up outside of Pickerington where, you, you know, okay. 
Like, it wasn't like a horse trough, but I mean, it was like one step up. It was like, you know, anyways. So you can see where this is going. And so we're like, I, this is a great idea. There's a, there's, there's a roof that's eight foot higher than the pool. Now, the pool, mind you, is about 40, like three and a half, four feet deep at the most. And, uh, and so we would scurry up. We'd have to climb the fence on the side, get on the edge of the roof. Have you been on black shingles in the summer barefoot? No, because you're smarter than me. You would get on the black shingles of the roof barefoot, and then you would have about five seconds before your feet burnt to get to the edge of the roof and then take your jump. Now, you, we were smart enough to not go head first, and so that's why I'm still standing here today. Yes, I was yelled at repeatedly for this, and yet we would still do this. I have survived probably a good thousand of those jumps. Keep in mind that the other risk was that going from the corner of the yard to the house was our power line. And so as we jumped, we were within a few feet of that. And so anyways, back to maximizing the splash. I knew that if I got to the very edge and if I jumped out horizontally over the center of the pool and if I came down flat as long as possible, hold your ears, mom, thanks. And, uh, and then you guys, I think I, did we call this a can opener? What did we call this? Where you'd come down flat, and then you'd come in, you'd close up tight, and then you'd explode as soon as you hit the surface of the water. And if you did this right, you could cost your dad an extra 50 gallons of water that day. Check. And then repeat as necessary. All right, I'll go further. We would also make wave pools. Did you ever do that? Like in a round pool, if you could get going, and so then you get the water going up and down, I would time it so we'd get the water going like that, and then I would time it to hit the wave at the top, maximize my splash. What am I talking about? I wanted, and I was king of my little pond. Isn't that nice? I could make the biggest splash, and now what you didn't want to do is time it when the wave was at its like about two feet. Maybe did that a couple times. But anyways, we want to maximize the return on our investment. I want to make the biggest splash possible with my life. How can we make our victories have the greatest impact? I want to go backwards through the passage that we just read, the, the last four verses. Verse 28, it says that some of you will not die that are standing here that will see the, see the Son of Man coming in the king, like with his kingdom. And so some of them went away with the belief that they wouldn't actually, like some of them might not physically die like before the end of all things, before Jesus set everything right. Well, we, 2,000 years later, we know that's not the case. But yet Jesus told them that some of them would see the kingdom of God come into being. And you would see that over this extended time, and then especially after the death and the resurrection. And we see the king of the universe basically start to act in power here, and we have this foretaste of what all of eternity will look like. So the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is coming. And I know that can be confusing, maybe to a new Christian or to a longtime believer. But we can enjoy the kingdom of God and the rulership of Christ in our lives right now. But we also know 
that we're surrounded by still a fallen world and that there will be a time to come when Jesus returns again, and that's, that's the fullness of it. So there's like these two parts, but we don't really maximize, I think, what we have right now. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is here. He would say the kingdom of God is at hand. He would say it's here. And, and on all these things, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, are basically synonyms for the exact same thing. The kingdom of God is here, and we will see the Son of Man, that's another name for Jesus, coming in his kingdom. We know Jesus to be this for us. And then go before that in verse 27. We just finished Christmas time with little baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounces, lying in a manger. Some people focus on, you know, the... the the crucified Jesus, and, and, and just we have these different images. And then I think what our society has done today, the kind, maybe there's, there's the cruelest that says he's completely irrelevant, but I think what society has tried to do today is to just let us have our picture of the nice, handsome Jesus and the one that likes to just walk with kids hand in hand and just likes to teach softly on the hillside, and likes to be everybody's friend, and likes, like, there's this version of Jesus that I think is fair. It's, it's like a, a, it's one side of him, I would say, and that we should see him as this gentle person. But listen to verse 27. It says, for the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. When he comes again, it is going to shake the earth. It will be the most magnificent entry we've ever seen. It will be all-powerful. The Bible says that every knee will bow. Like, it's going to just, it's going to blow our doors off. This is not the timid, low-spoken guy that we just want to park Jesus in. This is the judge of the ages. This is the Son of Heaven. And He's going to come, and it's going to say that it says that He's going to judge all according to their deeds. That's the Jesus that's coming. It's the same one that loves us, the same one that laid his life down for us, but there's going to be a moment of reckoning for all. Now, that's not the most popular preaching these days. It's a good way to empty pews instead of filling them. I'm hoping we see the, obvious, uh, the opposite. Because if we don't align our lives up, if we don't see Jesus as the King of Kings, if we don't see him as the judge of all, then why would we respect his plan? Why would we yield our lives to him? Why would we make a sacrifice for his cause? Why did all of the disciples, except for John, who was able to, I think, grow old and pass away, every other close disciple was martyred for the cross? And it's one of our main proofs of the, of the truth of our faith is that why would somebody die? Why would somebody go through this if they hadn't really seen him die and then again 
after death and then believe that they had the power to spread his message around the world. How can you account for Christianity's explosion within the few hundred years after the physical death of Christ? You can't account for it any other way than it being true. Because nobody would do that if they really never saw Jesus again. And so they had these firsthand accounts. I'm getting a little sidetracked, but I just, the power of that. Verse 27 says, He will come in His glory. And this is part of the message today, is that He laid His glory down, His personal glory down in stages to come fulfill the plan of God. He yielded His glory just to come and put on our flesh. He sacrificed, that was the beginning of His sacrifice. We don't, we see the cross, the, the, the road to Golgotha, we see the cow, we see that as the suffering beginning. It was suffering for Him to become one of us. It was suffering for Him to live as a man. And then, he went through the, the crucifixion and, and, and all of that. So he laid that down for the plan that he was on. Let's go up to verse 26. Is this okay this morning? It got quiet. All right. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? This is, this is where the, the crux, the, 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 the point of this series comes because at the new year, we examine our lives and we look at the areas where we want to make gains. In some cases, losses. Okay, right? So we're looking at these physical accounts. We're looking at all of these things. And right here, we're cautioned that we can gain the world, but if we're not careful, we can lose our soul in the process. And I would argue this, that any time we are neglecting the plans of God for our plans, our souls are diminished and in jeopardy. We are not feeding them. They're not thriving. They are on hold at best and, and most likely in, in a state of decline. And so it's important that we figure this out. It's important that we line up with the will of God. It's important that we understand that He has a plan. Now, I've made plenty of mistakes, and I, I don't know what plan I'm on at this point for my life, whether it's X, Y, or Z, or, or we've already looped the alphabet a few times. But, but God has a plan, and I'm always welcome to get back on it. That's what I love about my Jesus. The grace just says it's like an on-ramp right back on. And sometimes there's, there's stuff that there'll be consequences from my times off, but, but God takes me back on, and then it's, it's, we're, we're back in business. And I can tell you, looking back at the times of my life, where the greatest victories were. Because I could make the mistake sometimes of neglecting God's plan to chase something that I thought was important, and next thing you know, I don't feel any victory in my life. Why? Because I'm chasing my goals and not his. And so verse 26 finishes with this question, 
one of the greatest questions that I think we can ever ask to keep ourselves in line with the will of God. And that is this, is anything worth more than your soul? This is one of those questions where the asker already knows the answer. No. Nothing is worth more than your soul. And so when we tell people that your lives will be better with Jesus in it, it's because I know that your soul will be better off no matter what he leads you through if you stay close to him. And that is a true statement. And so is anything worth more than the soul? Because the winning of the world is often the losing of the soul. Now, the church, we love to make broad strokes. And, and okay, well, that means I can't pursue success at my job. That means I shouldn't want to buy a nicer car. Hang on a second. I got my eye on another car, so I got to preach accordingly here. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? We're talking about following Jesus. I have a full life of things that are, they are material. I, they, at, the, at the will of the Lord, they are flexible in my life. And that's the right relationship with them. And I've seen him provide things that are beyond what I need or even wanted in the first place just for the sake of enjoyment, I believe. But the moment my life's goal is the pursuit of those things or the hanging on of those things, I am taking my eyes off my soul and I'm trading my soul for the gain of the world. And so I've seen some just amazing Christian business leaders and they, they're just tripping over their money. I mean, this crazy Chick-fil-A, this is God's chicken, y'all. Like, I have got... I got a gift card for Christmas. I can't use it because I refuse to wait in the line of 30 cars to buy chicken. It's ready for me? Sure. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'll try that. But the world has said you can't be closed on Sundays and successfully run a fast food chain. Ain't. I love our, some of us know Steve Lindsay down the road here. I love the Lindsay family. They, they, they honor God with their business. They're, they're going to buy all of Bryce at some point. Why? Because they're, they're listening to God. There's God's plan. And, and so it's, it's not about avoiding uh, things, and it's definitely not about success being evil, but it's about paying attention to what God has for my life and whatever comes with it, but that's just it. We want to claim the fruit as God, and we want to claim the, the troubles as the devil. And it's not that, it's, we, we don't get to do that. If we're following God through something, then that means he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's with us beside the still water. Those can both be part of his plan. And I've seen that in my life. The winning of the world is off the losing of the soul. Benjamin and I, we were hanging out the other night, and we were watching Alaska PD, which I think is just, it makes me feel better about our winner 
um, I think is really my motivation for doing that. Because if I watch something like Caribbean House Hunters, I just want to scream. Like, I got I to gotta get out of here. But, like, if I watch people in Alaska, I'm like, y'all dumb. Like, I don't care what you pay. And sure, it's pretty, and you can catch big fish. Have fun with that. But it was talking about these, these people that go up there and, and, and that, that work half on, half off because they can make more money because people don't want to live there. And so this, this uh, dad who's a police officer, he goes back and forth. He's very smart. He goes to southern Texas, the opposite two weeks. He's two weeks up and then two weeks back in Texas. So two weeks on, two weeks off. So like 14, 12-hour shifts straight, and then he goes home for 14 days and back and forth. And, and he said this comment, and, and believe me, when families make decisions to provide for themselves, I, I don't throw stones in a glass house. That is, that is between you, your spouse, and the Lord, how you guys pay your bills. But I heard this statement. It says, I am making a better life for my kids. And I looked over at Benjamin. I said, Benjamin, would you be okay if I was gone half the time if you could have twice as much stuff? He said, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he didn't. He did. He like, hmm. Like, these are the trades we make. I trade a good part of my life going to work and providing for my family. So you are, you're trading time no matter what. But this is what I'm getting at. When it's just for gain of the world, you might be trading more than you bargained for. Right? And so uh, this is where we got to trust God. And so verse 25. I like going backwards. It's fun. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Matthew Henry says this, self-denial, now these are big words. I, I mean, like, be patient with me here. Self-denial and patient suffering are hard lessons which will never be learned if we consult with flesh and blood. People don't write like this anymore. Self-denial and patient suffering are hard lessons. Implication that we should learn. But they will never be learned if we consult with flesh and blood. This is going back to Peter's conversation. If our advice is simply flesh-based, it would say you shouldn't go through this hard time. You are better off without this difficulty in your life. And temporarily, yes. And I believe we should always ask for prayer for healing. Absolutely, 100%. We, we had a prayer training. Uh, Pastor Scott led it. We want to see miracles in this place. We believe part of the cross is that we have defeat over, over the enemy from cancer to depression to whatever else. We better be praying over people. Some things are things that God has, is taking us through because there's something on the other side. And so this says if we hang on to it, then, then we'll lose it. That we could lose our lives by, by hanging too tight onto what we have. If I'm so focused on what I have and just what's mine and protecting my interests, I'm going to be a lousy friend, first of all. I'm, I'm not going to make an impact in, into the lives of people around me. 
and I'm just going to be known for hanging on for my own sake, right? Some people hang on to their kids, to their families, and like, I just want to protect this little thing. Get behind me, Satan. Verse 24, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Some translations say lay down your life. Take up, my, take up your cross and follow me. Another understanding for laying down your life or giving up your own way is pouring yourself out. We should be giving ourselves away to other people. We should be concerned about the people around us and, and looking for uh, their interests and not just our own. How do we follow Jesus? Because our greatest victories will come following Jesus. How do we follow him? We do what he did, and we trade our victories. Who wants to trade your trophies for his? What's the old hymn, My Trophies I Lay Down? I want his. Because his are eternal instead of temporal. I want to make the big splash. I want to jump off a taller roof. How do we follow? We do what we did and we trade our victories for his. Jesus is telling us how. Number one, he says, if any of you want to follow me, you must give, your, you must give up your own way. This is what we've been talking about. It's, it's what are the victories for? And In the next three weeks, we're going to finish this series and we're going to talk about things like health, uh, money, and relationships. And, and those are those traps of, of good goals on the surface, but if we're not careful, they can just be self-serving goals. And they might even benefit, benefit a few other people. If I have a better relationship with you, you that hopefully benefits your life. Um, if, if, you know, so there's some little impact, but we want to have godly impact with our, with our lives. That's why we're going through the why today. So it says to pour yourself out and then... Two, if any of you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. And I looked into this a little bit more, and I think this is one of the areas where Christians, in particular, can get into trouble. I think we can pick up crosses that aren't ours. I think we can put a stake in the ground on a hill, and, and we can spend our life dying over this hill, and God's like, I really had some other things I wanted you to do. This is why you won't get me too excited about some theological, like I don't, just, I don't just engage in some theological arguments that split up the church into 5,000 denominations because some of those I personally don't see a whole lot of clarity in the Bible on. And people will, like that's their whole life's work is defending this one thing. And it's like, ah, I don't know about that or just a cause outside of the cause of Christ. Like, there's things I'm passionate about as an American citizen. There's things like that. But how dare I carry another cross ahead of the ones Christ has for me? Yes, I'm going to vote. Yes, I'll give you my opinion on some things. Not at the cost of splitting the church or making... It, 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 those things, those aren't the battles that I want. 
I want to see eternal, I want to see eternity change in people's lives. There's different things at stake. And so when we look at this, we need to be careful that we're taking up what is ours to take up. I'll give you, here's a really good example of where preachers can get into trouble. I could devote my every waking minute to the life of this church. This is a cross that God has placed in my life to lead this church. This is a, something He has given me to do. Can I tell you that He's given me... Now, I'm going to get in trouble here because I'm going to call my family a cross. Like, that's, that's really dirty. What am I held accountable for first in God's eyes? I'll tell you if you're confused. It's my wife and my kids. And so an easy trap for me to fall into is that I can get over-focused on some other good things that God has given me to do. Do you see what I'm saying? So sometimes we can get distracted or we can get these responsibilities out of order. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want people burning out serving the church. He doesn't want me to turn into an emotional puddle of goo because I, I can't have boundaries and, and, and have free time and, and know what to limit myself between, you know, to, to give of myself to people. But that's tough, right? We all do this. We have to protect our marriages from our kids. We have to protect our time with our kids from our hobbies. We have to protect our... We, you see this? God will lead you through these things. These are part of the things we need to pick up our crosses. As we close today, some questions to help us see the greatest victories. Some questions for us. Because I believe that there are answers to each of these questions for each person in this room. I absolutely do. Who can you influence for the kingdom of God? Oh, I don't know. There's a few at least. I've got a couple givens. I've got my wife. I've got my kids. I'm fortunate enough to pastor this church. So that, that I've, got, I've got maybe a, a little easy list there. But I also work another job, and if I'm not careful, I can just see that as a supporting paycheck. But there's eight people there I can influence for the people, for the kingdom of God. Number two, how can you use your gifts, passions, and dreams to serve the kingdom? I'm not talking about neglecting the passions and dreams you have. I tend to believe that those are often God-originated. But we can make the mistake and, and, and see that as our path for a trophy for our own life when often those gifts, those dreams, those passions can be used to influence for the kingdom of God. How can you use your gifts, passions, and dreams to serve the kingdom? Where do you have influence that you can use for the kingdom? What are the different circles that God's placed you in? Work is one context. Sometimes you have different social groups, um, families, even extended families. Those can be difficult, and maybe you're not going to be the loudest voice in some cases, but those are all places where you have been given godly 
influence for his kingdom. I think it's a great idea to break a bad habit. I think it's a great idea to do a good deed. I think it's a great idea to learn a new skill. And I definitely like visiting new places. But I need a better why. I need a better why. God wants us to have a better return on our investment. Our greatest victories will come following Jesus. Can we bow our heads in prayer this morning? This is a challenging word. It's challenging to me. Because that's another thing. I can easily say, well, I'm a pastor, so I'm giving enough. And it's not really about giving more of my time, but it's about being careful with my heart. With heads bowed, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit reveals some things in this room. Some of them are going to come immediately to you. Some of them you might need to pray about them longer with somebody up here this morning or throughout the week. What are the victories that you are chasing only for you right now? It might be a good goal, but if you're honest, you weren't seeing past yourself. What are those victories that you are chasing only for you? Whenever you realize what some of those are, submit them to the leadership and the authority of Jesus Christ and his plan. If you realize there's a plan in your heart that is only yours, I'm not telling you to stop. It might be something that God wants to bless and put towards what he's doing. I'm not saying that, but I'm submit it right now to the authority of Jesus. Around this room, what are the crosses that God has placed in your life? And I don't mean this as a burden necessarily, as a as a, a weight of, of that's a negative thing, but what a joy to be responsible for a family. What a joy to be responsible for other people. That means God trusts you. I've seen people frustrated with their children. Like that, that means that God knew you could be their parent. What are the crosses God has placed in your life? Receive them today. Accept it. Pick it up. Last question. What are you carrying that you shouldn't be? And I'm not talking necessarily about shame or something like that, but what's Maybe there's something that is just taking an inordinate amount of your time and your heart and your energy, and, and there it might even be a good thing. But it's really not where God wants your energy. What are you carrying that you shouldn't be? Release them. Trust God to fill your life with a greater victory. Because, friends, the greatest victories come following Jesus. And finally, if you've never trusted Jesus with your heart, if you've never accepted the sacrifice that he made for your wrongdoing, he wants to forgive you of your sins. He has a plan that includes you. If you're ready to say yes to him today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. 
I see that hand. God bless you. A simple prayer is like this. God, I thank you for loving me. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. God, I choose to love you. I choose to follow your plan. Help me hear and see your plan. I choose to follow you. Amen. As we stand up and close in worship this morning, there are people up front here that are wanting to pray with you about anything and everything. Something that came up in the message this morning, uh, something that's going on maybe in a family member. Um, who knows? Come up and ask for prayer. We're trying to tone some things down here up on the stage so you can actually hear each other. But let's close with this time of worship. Amen.